0: It's only entertainment. All right, welcome back to The Talking Hedge. I'm Josh Kincaid, capital markets analyst and host of your Cannabis Business Podcast. My guest with me today, Andrew Toot, he's the CFO of Forefront Ventures, ticker symbol available in the U.S. under OTC, ticker symbol FFNTF. Andrew, thanks for being back on The Talking Hedge.
1: Thanks for having me. Good to see you,
0: Josh. Good to see you, thanks for being back. Um, yeah. let's jump right off into um, some stuff uh, that I want to talk about, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> mainly sure. um, differentiation. Um, because Forefront, you guys are a vertically integrated multi state cannabis operator in strategic medical and adult use cannabis markets that includes California and Illinois, Massachusetts, Michigan, Washington. But that just kind of sounds like an MSO to the average person. So, what actually sets Forefront ventures apart from other MSOs in the cannabis industry?
1: Well, I mean, we, so we sort of started out, you know, the truncated story of Forefront is we started out in the really competitive market of Washington state. So, um, you know, our facilities in Washington, you know, are the number two flower producer, number one edibles producer. And when you look at those facilities, they look more like CPG than, You know, you would see in a lot of places in cannabis, uh, consumer packaged goods, highly, highly automated, um, highly efficient, bringing the labor out wherever you can. And the point of me telling you this is that, you know, very early on, we saw our experience in Washington where we're still able to generate a significant amount of cash flow, despite that being a really competitive industry where flour prices have eroded down to the, you know, as low as, five, $600 a pound. And so going back five years, we sort of looked at that and said, well, pricing degradation is gonna be a fact of life in the cannabis industry. And for us to have success, you have to be a low cost producer um, because pr- prices per pound are not gonna be three, $4,000 per pound for flour. Um, you have to be able to ring out the costs. You have to be able to put out a really quality product at a great price. And if you do that, the elasticity in cannabis is such that you should be able to take a lot of market share. And so our differentiation has really been around, um, our differentiation has really been around being a low cost producer, having, you know, new suites of products that come available and, and, you know, are continuing to innovate. Yeah, well, I'm in Washington. I'm in
0: Seattle. It's definitely a petri dish experiment out here. And if you can survive in this market, then I think what you're learning and what you're able to do, you can bring to other markets and thrive. And so, um,
1: well that, you know, and, and that's really, that's really, you know, what we're trying to do here. It's take what you've done in Washington state and put that, take it to Massachusetts, which we've already done. And currently, you know, I think there were about three and a half, four 4% market share in Massachusetts. Um, and continuing to trend up um, despite, uh, you know, some some really severe pricing headwinds in mass. And uh, our next stop is taking it to Illinois, where we are going to be opening our um, 48,000 square feet of canopy, 70,000 square foot processing facility. In Madison, so the first stop was taking what we did in Washington to Mass, Illinois, and we're also doing it in California. Okay. Um,
0: curious if you're looking at at any acquisitions or just expanding where you're already at. I've been hearing a lot from investors that may have been on the sidelines now; they're kind of looking to pursue that distressed asset um, package that's coming up. So. Cannabis capital raises are still off to like a multi-year low, not raising nearly enough. So for instance, only 77 million was raised through the first five weeks of the year compared to 662 million raised last year. So you guys actively evaluating investment opportunities and does that include assets in legacy markets like Washington?
1: Yeah. So we, it is, you know, sort of two pieces there. Are there distress pieces that we're interested in? And what the access to capital looks like right now, and the the piece about you know the access to capital is it is it is as tight in cannabis. I've been in this is my ninth year right now in cannabis. This is as tight as I've ever seen the environment. And to even have a chance of raising any capital, you have to either be cash flow positive, or you have to have a view towards being cash flow positive pretty quickly. Um, so that's the first thing, and so that's been a big focus of ours, making sure that you know we have a very clear path to being cash flow positive, uh, which is a Q1 event for us. The second piece is a little tricky. Are there distressed assets? Yes, there are distressed assets all over the industry, and the question is not really around, you know, are there some interesting pieces you'd want to take on. The question for us is more around: do we have do we have the the people? Do we have the talent internally to um, to take on another state to take on another asset? You know, in California, we entered California last July, just about this or last January, excuse me. And you know, we went in with one hundred seventy thousand processing, one hundred seventy thousand square foot process, processing facility where we're pro- providing low cost goods into the California market. And as we started to produce, he said, well, maybe it'd be interesting to add some retail here. And the problem with distressed assets is yes, it's distressed. Yes, it's cheap, but they're going to have, you know, $15 million of payables on the, on, on the balance sheet. They're going to have a tax liability on the balance sheet. They're going to have a senior lender that thinks he should be made whole. So, I think that the distressed assets in this industry really need to be carried for a couple more rounds um, and have all those liabilities go away in some sort of insolvency before, you know, there are really bargains. And I think we'll probably see that as the, as the year continues to unfold. Hmm. That's an interesting uh, observation. Um, like it's, it's bad out there right now. It, it is
0: and i don't know if anybody's immune to it um i want to highlight some of the some of the bad and get your take on it um yeah. let's go with average valuation multiples uh, for the largest mso's more than twice that of their yep. tier 3 competitors implying an enormous cost of capital advantage that makes it nearly impossible for some of the smaller companies to maintain that growth and yet medmen is a dumpster fire cureleaf had to leave yeah. california california oregon colorado Air wellness had to leave Arizona. They've got some other issues. So with MSO life, seemingly the life expectancy declining, I got to ask, Andrew, will the remaining MSOs be able to survive the federal legalization
1: without that safety net of limited license states? I think I think a lot of them are going to fail. I think that there's a chance that 60% of this industry fails. And... The reason I say that is because they, there just isn't the operating expertise that underpins you know, the operations. Just don't the operations that a lot of these companies just aren't good enough to, to to withstand operating with very little liquidity, operating on very thin margins, um, and seeing some of that price compression in in the in the flour. Um, so. I think that uh, the multiples, so the way that I think, I think that there's going to be the have and the have nots. So I think that there's probably going to be, you know, 10 publicly traded companies right now that are going to make it through to the other side. I think there's probably the next 10 um, in some way, shape or form, you know, maybe part of something bigger. Um, I think that uh, the, you have to be cash flow positive. You have to be at least cash flow break even to even have a chance of surviving. And but here's here's the good news. So we all know what the bad news is. The bad news is, you know, the federal government didn't give us any movement on on anything cannabis related with both chambers of the House blue and the presidency blue. Um, you know that pricing's coming down in some of these East Coast states, these limited license states everyone kind of knows that. And, you know, you've seen just a brutal 24 months in the stocks. I think that we're going to get into a point where the, the, the really weak players are going to continue to fall off or be consolidated, probably just go away. And then um, I think that the top, the, the, the 10 remaining, I think that we will get safe banking here in the before Joe Biden leaves office. I'm hearing there there could actually be bills filed as soon as March. Everyone's credibility is so shot on safe banking coming through that no one even wants to talk about it. But if we were to get safe banking, if we were to get some movement on the federal side, like you look at a you look at an ETF like MSOS, that thing got I don't know. When when the Georgia special election happened, I think it got close to a billion dollars of inflows inside of six weeks. (laughs) And so if you think about from, you know, from a capital market standpoint, what that could mean, it's like, well, shit, you know, all of a sudden you're going to have, you know, a really down and out industry where sentiment couldn't be worse. And you start to see, well, wow, these guys are actually generating cash. And by the way, we're getting movement on the federal side and you know, you have a potential for billions of dollars of capital to basically chase 10 to 15 names. So, you know, we are, you know, I sort of say, well, it's bad out there. Well, it is bad. Like, you you know, there's not a lot of access to capital. It's a, it's a competitive business. And it's, you know, overtaxed right now. But if you want to look out 18 to 24 months, you know, I think that you're looking at a shelled out industry where you can kind of pick you know the good operators, and make some bets, and I think that there's opportunity to make a lot of money. Mm-hmm. Um, you have to be you have to be careful of making sure that you know folks um, are cash flow positive so that weather the storm.
0: Yeah, w- which kind of creates um, um, opportunities or, or issues um, for those that don't have that that cash, right? So when we look at, oh yeah what we've seen last year with the 10 US multi-state operators owing half a billion dollars to the IRS, Forefront had past due taxes above its Q3 um, ending cash position. And at one point, Forefront owed the IRS 32 million, but only had 5 million in cash and equivalents. So Mm -hmm. if Forefront mm-hmm. paid its entire past due incoming tax bill in September 30th of 2022, it would have had some serious issues, including overdrafts of 27 million. So presuming you're just paying 6% to the IRS, which is a, a great loan. How do you balance taking on debt with maximizing first mover advantages?
1: Um, it's a great question. Um, you know, one of the things that, you know, the industry start is is looking to fund is you know whether you know two eighty e is even a you know if it's even legal the federal government can can you know levy those kind of taxes and so you know my partner Carl Joscano um, president of forefront is actually a recovering tax attorney um, so you know we've been you know spending a lot of time you know looking at you know addressing the cash issue um and, and and sort of going into discussions with the IRS on you know how that's gonna be repayment. But your but your point is is right on you know it's um it's a cheap it's a cheap cost it's a cheap cost of capital. Um so you know from our standpoint you know we're gonna be um you know as we flip the cash flow positive this quarter um you know we're gonna start to be you know chipping into you know chipping into paying down some of the taxes. And I think that, you know, we'll also, um, we'll also see, you know, us, you know, probably expand our senior debt a little bit. Um, But, you know, right now, to be honest with you, Josh, you know, this industry is in, um, it's like the, uh, it's like the, uh, the March madness, it's survive in advance. Mm -hmm. And right now it's a lot like it was in 2019 where it's, Okay, we're gonna get through to the other side of this, and through this 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 very tumultuous time in the cannabis industry. And you know, you need to make sure that you have enough cash to withstand it, and you have to be cash flow positive. So, in terms of us on cash, we finished the year with about thirteen million in cash on the balance sheet. Um, and you know, flipping to cash flow positive in March, um, you know, we're feeling decent about it. You know, we still have some work to do on our balance sheet to make sure that. We have the flexibility to do everything that we want to do. Um, you know, we have two retail locations in Illinois right now. We want eight. Um, so, you know, we are you know currently in discussions with, you know, um, a lot of different types of investors about how we can deploy money on very high ROI projects with, with very, um, how should I say it? Not super risky uses of capital, uh, higher and, and have an incredibly high RR and sort of building out our retail footprint in Illinois. And so, there is capital available for specific projects like that.
0: Mm-hmm. A lot of capital normally would come from the public markets. Being publicly traded, though, doesn't always help in an industry that just moves with the news. Um, and, yeah. and not even independent. It hasn't moved independent of of stocks. We've said that before. It's not really about fundamentals, um, but it's not even about technicals. I don't even know what it is about. But we're seeing MSO stocks widely believed to be trading below intrinsic value, and yet it's not reflected in that price of MSOs nor the MSOS ETF you mentioned earlier. But yeah. it's really attributed to that negative free cash flow and burning cash rates at alarming rates. A lot of CFOs. Are kind of embracing the importance of net income free cash flows you've mentioned as a critically important performance metric but how how's your performance your financial performance been and why are these msos finding it incredibly difficult to produce a profit
1: um i think for a co- couple of different reasons um this is a it's an overtaxed industry um I think that you know, so so the tax burden, you know, with 280e paying full tax rate on your gross profit is absurd, and that's before you start talking about you know local taxes like uh, community host agreements and other BS like that. So I think that that's one of the things. I think that largely MSOs have been you know operating in protected markets. Um, Most of them have sort of steered away from you know. uh, a market like you know washington or california uh, and they've been in limited license states and as the prices have dropped there um i think that's sort of the equivalent of warren buffett's tide going out and you're seeing who's 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 going to be swimming naked or not mm-hmm. so that's a component and then i think the third component which i which i touched on earlier is there is a dearth of talent and so the msos went in and they said okay man we're well capitalized These states are opening up for medical or recreational cannabis. Let's go get licenses. Let's build out our operations. So assuming you had capital to do that, you don't have the human capital to do that. Like it is a real issue. Um, And so, you know, I was out to dinner with, you know, a couple who guys who are engineers from a competitor last night. And in the early days of cannabis, it was just, okay, well, that, that state's opening up. Yep, yep, That's a, that's an attractive state. Let's go do it. And, you know, we all built these facilities and we got into, you know, building out retail and so on and so forth. When you get, when you, when you talk to guys, like I was talking to last night, who have been in, uh, you know, the cereal business, and they've been in low margin high throughput industries there, they come in and they marvel at how much work the cannabis industry has to do to really streamline their, their, their cost structure. And make sure that they're efficient operators. Like, no knock on Cureleaf at all, but Cureleaf's a well-capitalized roll-up Like they've, they've sort of bought these disparate operations in all these different states. And back when I was running money as a small-cap manager, like the 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 adage used to be, you know, you roll up, you blow up, you grow up. And mm-hmm. so, currently, you know, we're all in that in that in that phase of. Okay, you bought all these assets. Now it's time to, you know, make sure that you rationalize and optimize them. And then, you know, you go into the phase of, all right, we're going to we're going to pursue profitable reasonable growth now. And so I think that we're kind of in that in that middle phase right now. And there's not very much talent coming into the industry from outside of the industry who has the kind of know-how. And we feel like we're really well positioned cuz we feel like we do um you know we've been able to attract you know some pretty talented folks from you know other companies and then you know just given our experience in some of these highly competitive states you know we've been fighting this battle for a bunch of years making cash flow so um you know we feel that p- puts us in pretty good position you mentioned um
0: just before about looking for opportunities to raise your roi while reducing risk mm-hmm. and just mentioning human capital and the abundance um the the necessary need for it and then the lack of availability of it and and yet, I'm wondering if maybe you've already tackled some of those issues with automation and innovation. so one of Forefront's facilities incorporates fully automated machinery. Producing 100,000 edibles, 12,000 pre rolls, 9,000 vape carts per shift. So, is automating a difficult decision to make? And can you discuss any you know, exciting projects or innovations that Forefront Ventures is currently working on to, again, do the same thing, raise your ROI and reduce your risk?
1: Yeah. I mean, auto- automation is going to have to be absolutely critical. Um, and, you know, I think that the, if you are gonna be a survivor, you need to figure out how to automate and take the labor out of every part of the value chain that you can. Um, because you know I think that we're probably the only industry in the world that isn't seeing inflation with our core product, we're actually seeing deflation. Um, so I think that, that that is really the key. And And I think that if you can give a low cost high quality product, um, the elasticity in cannabis is pretty remarkable. So, um, we, I lost, I lost your, the last part of your question, Josh, I'm sorry.
0: No, it's all right. So you talked about automating, yeah. if that was a difficult decision to make, you said no. Uh, and then discussing exciting projects, other, other ways of, of, um,
1: reducing risk and raising ROI. Yeah, Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you know, it was, not, it was not a it was not a tough decision at all. Basically, you know, when you look what we did in California, we basically took the automation that we learned in Washington State and we put it on steroids to take it down and put it into California. So, you know, what do you need to do? You need to take the labor out of, you know, trimming and packaging. You take the labor out of um, rolling pre-rolls and putting them in the package and putting labels on. You need to take the label out of filling vape carts um you need to take the labor out of making you know any type of edible and so you know one of the things that the cannabis industry is struggling with a little bit is you know not being able to take stuff over state lines so you know instead of addressing a a market of 360 million people you know the biggest market you can address is really california which is what 40 million people or something like that so you know for instance for instance you know our edible machine in california you were throwing out some of the metrics and we can make something you know north of twenty thousand boxes of edibles in a in, in one eight hour shift um the this is the same this is the same machinery that they use to make starburst so you know when they make starburst it's a red starburst it's an orange starburst it's a yellow starburst they turn on those machines and those machines don't turn on for years to turn off for years at a time mm-hmm. and so what I'm saying it's absolutely critical that you have, um, that you have automation and you're ringing out labor, really maximizing the um, the scale and leveraging that automation. Um, it's probably really gonna show itself in, you know, when we get to interstate commerce, which is probably a few years down the road at the very earliest. But, you know, you absolutely need to be, you know, thinking about, What can we automate and what can we, you know, where can you get the labor out? So, we've been playing with pre roll machines for in Washington for six years. And so, we've been playing with um, uh, edibles manufacturing and automating that for six years in Washington, almost seven years. And so, you know, there isn't one magic bullet of, okay, you automate this and then you're competitive. This industry is all about experience, having folks that have skinned their knees along the way and continuing to innovate and make sure that you're innovating while keeping your costs low. And I think that automation has a big piece to do with that. Mm-hmm. Oh, well, Where do you see the um,
0: the cannabis industry evolving in the next three to five years as it pertains to finance and how is Forefront preparing for that?
1: um i think that you know and what i'll say internally is in the next four or five years this is going to be you know i I believe that we're going to be traded on you know the nasdaq or the new york stock exchange and you know the way that i describe it you know to my partners at forefront is guys this big wave's coming it hasn't come yet um but when it does there are going to be a handful of us call it 10 who are going to have big surfboards and so i think that you know we've kind of been you know languishing on um you know some some lesser exchanges we haven't had the access to capital we haven't had um you know general folks who you know my dad tried to buy forefront stock through his morgan stanley broker the other day and he couldn't do it Mm -hmm. you know so so you know the custodian and sort of the the plumbing of having investors come into this space is just not there yet and i think that we are on the cusp i think you know when i'm in boston and i started my career as a as it it MFS here in Boston and then I was 11 years at BlackRock here in Boston. And so I have a lot of a lot of buddies still in the financial community up here in the Northeast and a lot of whom are personal investors in Forefront. And one of the things that I've found interesting is you know we have portfolio managers who own Forefront individually but they haven't been able to buy in their multi-billion dollar funds. And mm-hmm. I think that safe banking, if you got some piece of acknowledgement from the federal government that this was okay to do, dealing in cannabis, you weren't committing wire fraud, I think the compliance departments at big mutual fund shops will start to jump in. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't think that that's going to take specific uplisting language or anything like that. Um, I think that this has been an incrementalist issue. We've gotten medical. People realize, okay, cool. We can have medical. The sky's not going to fall. Now we can do recreational. Oh, wow! The crime didn't crime didn't go through the roof. You know, this was not a bad thing. This is an incrementalist issue, cannabis, and I think it's an incrementalist issue on the capital market side too. Um, except for, I think that once you get banking, I think that this is going to be. I think some things are going to happen in very rapid succession after that mm-hmm. from being able to, you know, have real custodians having, you know, the fidelities and blackrock be able to come in and buy these things in earnest and have real price discovery and uh, of these names and be listed on real exchanges um where um you know, we're treated like the, you know, we're treated like the companies that I think we deserve to be treated with given, you know, our growth and revenue profile and Um, I think that, you know, those of us that are going to be long-term success stories here are going to be able to show uh, a lot of profitability as well.
0: Mm -hmm. And there's no pushback. I think that's the biggest thing. If there's no pushback, it'll happen eventually. So... Um, the biggest thing is it, it, there's money involved and they're going to want a lot of that money in, in their own pockets eventually. And as long as there's no pushback and they're not going to lose their seats or the election, it'll happen eventually. So that's the good news. But I think with that's that, we're going to we're gonna have to roll this one up. So okay, um, okay. I want to thank my guest. Andrew Tooth is the CFO for Front Ventures available in the U.S. Under ticker symbol on the OTC markets, FFNTF. Andrew, where else can they find you at?
1: Uh, we are at 4, four com, number 4 And we're also on Twitter and uh, LinkedIn and all that good stuff. So I uh, appreciate you having me, Josh. And uh, thanks everyone for listening.
0: Yeah, I'll put Andrew's um, contact in LinkedIn in the show notes. But with that, I think we're out of here. I'm Josh Kincaid. This is The Talking Hedge. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe. or don't, and I'm out. Don't forget to smash that like button on your way out. and Check out these other videos that we've got.